Oh, it's quiet. Pretty sure the United States is in the west of the world, Dan. That's your bit. <laughs> Indeed, it is quiet. And we're not dressed up this week, unfortunately. You're not. It's not Halloween anymore. I'm a blondie, which means that my criticism is going to come down a notch. So I think I actually made that joke last season. I think you did. Anyway, yeah. what did we watch this week? We watched All Quiet on the Western Front from 1930, directed by Lewis Milestone, I think is how you pronounce that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this was obviously your guys' pick because you voted for it, but this was uh, my suggestion to the list. And to be honest, I originally uh, I, I thought this was a German language film. <laughs> We found out when I Wikipedia search it and say, oh, it's an American movie. And then we watched it. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. They're speaking American. American. Fuck. So, you know, yeah. A uh, little bit of a blunder. Evidence there, that fine. I should research the movies I pick more, I guess. Um, anyways, what were your initial what were your initial thoughts about the film, Ryan? Um, All Quiet on the Western Front. Obviously, it's from 1930. So... Uh, coming out of the silent era of films, I mean, at this point, sound films have only, had only been standard for a couple of years at this point. Um, they use that technology uh, to the best possible extent. I mean, basically, this is a sensory bombardment, this film. Um, and if it didn't have the audio, not to jump ahead, but it's a big point for me in the movie, if it didn't have that technology, this this film wouldn't have been as impactful if it came out four years before it did. Um, it needed that technology because war is a sensory experience. And I think that um, at the time, because of that, it was probably one of the more uh, immersive or at least realistic depictions of war some people had seen at the time. Um, because obviously when you're a filmmaker, you can be a lot more perfectionist about things than if you're somebody that's trying to film the war. Um, so I think it gave people a good insight probably at the time to what it was like. But the film overall, it has it has kind of an ensemble cast, but it has a really good human element to it. There's natural humor um, because it really is, as it says in the beginning, a story about a generation of people. Uh, there is at no point in this movie where you ever think it's this like Ruha action war movie because it's mm. not. It's it's really about the more personal effects of war. Um, and I think they nailed that. I have to admit that I was mildly disappointed by this movie when I first saw it. I, I had been kind of hyped up to think that this was a really dark, dramatic, um, raw depiction of war. And I felt let down by a lot of the, I would say, early conventions of filmmaking that are present in this movie. But upon rewatching it our, during our second viewing, I put myself more in the headspace of this came out in the 1930s and it was incredibly impactful and game-changing when it was released. This movie was actually, in its own time, censored by several governments, most notably um, Nazi Germany, for its depiction of anti-war. This is kind of historically the first anti-war war movie, and I'll get into that a little more in our main section. But it's surprisingly aged pretty well. There's a lot of elements to this movie that do make it a little bit of a slog, and also it's just two and a half hours. But there is a lot to enjoy. The dialogue is very well written. Um, the story is engaging, if a little slow, but that's kind of the point of it being a slow burn. Right. And it really gets the idea across that the horror of war is not so much 
always the direct fighting and bloodshed. It's the slow grinding attrition, especially in the trenches of the Western Front. I guess we can talk about just the opening of the film. Um, so obviously, other than a couple little shots and then the parade through the street, obviously the classroom scene is really the big opening of the movie. Um, and I love, and this film does a really good job, at, and you don't really realize it until the end, which is, I think, what makes it work, um, how much Paul and, you know, even your perspective in the film kind of changes with Paul, where in the opening of the film, the classroom scene with everybody marching behind, it feels it feels optimistic. It feels a little like there's, like, jingoism, but it's this, it's this really optimistic feeling. Um, and then when, when Paul comes, it's a, it's a total flip of that where it's almost like Paul is viewing everything the professor says with, with this pessimism. Like when he comes back right. at the end of the movie. And he's hearing everything he's saying, and he's like, I can't believe that these words inspired me. They're, I've been through that war. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of the movie is about soldiers, specifically Paul, being like, what the fuck are you talking about? You didn't fight in the war. Mm. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, so that opening classroom scene, though, just compared with it at the end, it's, it was such a good way... For them, even though the classroom is seen as not the end of the movie, it was a really good uh, way to kind of tie that full circle. I really like in the opening scene the shot where the young students that later, you know, become our main characters and the soldiers fighting in the war, they are like overshadowed by the map and the globe in the classroom. It's just a really great. Um, piece of symbolism to just show you know how insignificant not only the world sees these young men how the professor sees the young men but also how they see themselves as it's okay to go die for our country i want to jump off the thing about the shot of the globe because i we both really like that shot i the way i sort of saw that especially with the ending when paul comes back i really like that in the opening scene it's sort of it takes up a lot of the frame and it's out of focus too. It's almost like this, the kids sort of see it as like this idea of a world. Whereas when Paul comes back, it's totally in focus. It's way smaller. He's standing above it. It's almost like he now sees it for what it is uh, rather than, than an idea. And that was obviously very intentional the way they were shooting that. Um, so I don't know why that, that stuck out to me, the classroom bits, but just when he comes back in the end, you really see the transformation of his character from the beginning to the end. Um, and another thing that this film does pretty well, uh, which is not really my lesson, but it's something I do really like about it, is in that scene, um, there's a lot of really interesting camera moves, a lot of push-ins to the students' faces, and you really, you, you feel like you're getting involved in it, and people are being singled out. Um, and then, especially when the professor's pointing people out, the shots on him get closer and closer every time. It's almost like, it's almost like he's slowly convincing all of them in a way it's exactly what they're doing with the um uh the the choice of the framing in that scene i want to talk a little bit about how when i first watched this movie i wasn't sure until about halfway through at the midpoint who the main character was yes and upon re-watching it it became more clear to me that they were that from the beginning they were definitely emphasizing paul as the main character but yeah. i i do think that on a on a first viewing of the movie it gets very confusing and i feel like that kind of works to the movie's strength of showing the oh, what's the right way to say this the indiscriminate nature of the violence of war that 
any of these young men can and do die, and none of them really matter any more than the other, and that they're all just, you know, caught in this together. It also just builds suspense of thinking, who's going to die next? Right. They, they sort of feel like numbers and less like people, yeah. in a way. I, I will say, I think the movie, as a jumping-off point, it doesn't always work the best because this movie doesn't do the best job of characterizing at times. I think a lot of older movies over-relied on dialogue to um, establish character. And I think this movie's at its best when there is no dialogue, frankly. Like in the montages during uh, whenever there's fighting in the trenches. That's my, those are my favorite parts of this movie, and I think it's where the filmmaking really shines. Or like when we get the close-ups on characters' faces when like they're panicking in the trenches. Yeah. And less when they're just talking. The story of the film is pretty simple. All these men in this, I, I assume they're in like high school or something. This is oh, yeah, they're recruiter. like, yeah, they're, they're right um, out of high school, not even yet. And they all go to war together. They they have to like convince that one guy at the end to go with them because he's like super against it. And they're like, okay, I'll go. It's like kind of a peer pressure thing. He's like, oh, I'll go with you. And they all go to war and they all sort of learn very slowly what it's like. And it's the film, by the end, because it is a long movie, you're like, oh, they've been here a long time. But I feel like they've... Uh, I don't know the time frame for how long they act, Paul was actually there. But well, hi history nerd time. Uh, for context here, Corwin in middle school became a big nerd about World War One history. Um, Paul lasts until pretty much the end of the war because we see a little more than halfway through the film, they adopt the, uh, the Stahlhelm, which wasn't used until, don't kill me in the comments if I get this wrong, 1917 because... For some reason, the German army didn't want to give people steel helmets until later. But yeah, he Paul is in this from the beginning of the war almost until the end. So the film starts in 1914. Yeah, so it's okay. a this is a four year period. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so you start you sort of see there's a lot of nice little details like you sort of see how they come into it. Obviously, at first they're a little like there's like that scene where they what's like their officer or whatever I forget the guy's name Himmelstosch. Yeah, he's like he, the, he was the former right. mailman, and then he's like a big yeah. shot. Forgive um, my pronunciation of the German language here. Well, they all speak English, so it's fine. That's true. It's um, actually an American film. And you know, they they fuck around with him, like oh, you know, because they're just kids and they're they're kind of learning. Um, this is like such a stupid, dumb detail, but eventually they get to I forget. It's kind of hard to follow some of the plot at some points, but they get to that sort of like not hideout, but that base or whatever. Oh, in the trench, yeah, their dugout, yeah. Uh, or no, no, the the place where they meet. Um, oh, is it, in the is in it the... Cap? Is his name? Cat. Cat. I Cap. I don't remember. Cap. I, whatever. I don't. Well, the, the old grizzled veteran. Either way, it's it's. There's a lot of fun moments where he like comes back and they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll pay you. And he's like, you know, the money's nothing. It's pieces of paper. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't have any value. And that to me, one of those moments where it's like, you know, they're in a totally different world at this point. I don't know why that detail stuck out to me, but it was just a way to show that like, oh, the, the old values of the world that they lived in is totally different in war because it's like a separate thing. Mm. It's sort of this like uh, kind of law and uh, not lawless, but you know what I mean? It's. No, you, I think lawless kind of fits. I mean, they are at times stealing, they, they're stealing the, the pig from like the, um, what is it, the, the, the ration, the rationers, I think. Mm. They're, you know, I, I love that scene where they go off and sleep with the, um, the, the French or I, I don't know if they're French or Belgian girls. It just kind of shows, shows that they're, 
even though they're soldiers and these civilians are kind of in this shit together right and they don't care that they're technically on different sides yeah uh, this film is ultimately as the opening title credits say about the destruction of an entire generation of young men through war it's less about the overt brutality of war and more about the way war just destroys a person just being in that situation some of my favorite scenes in the movie are when they're in the dugout of their trench and they're just losing their minds from the dirt falling in the shells outside yeah and they're just like they're like oh let's just do something i don't care if i'm going over the top i just have to do something yeah. well i think we should talk about that a little bit like how they film the trench scenes because they get to like their first trench i think kind of like a third of the way through the film which i really liked how in the, the first scenes where they were following Cap, Cat, whatever the hell his name is, they were following him and he was kind of like showing them the way. I really liked how they filmed a lot of that because they're super low in the frame and they really emphasize like, as, as, as Joey might or might not joke about Fourth of July, but you know, all like the bombs and everything going on, they make sure that that is prevalent in the frame and it feels like they're all yeah. insignificant. Like, oh, we're down the here. The claustrophobia of right. being in the trenches. I like that low angle shot where we're seeing the French men running over the top of the trench and they're like silhouetted by the sky. Right. It's a very immersive film. Also with their use of practical effects and Ooh, real yeah. sets instead of matte paintings. Now, correct me, Please, in the comments, if I'm totally wrong, they use matte paintings way more than I thought. But I only really noticed one shot that was a clear matte painting to me. The rest of this really seemed like it was on real sets in real locations. And it because they're willing to do that, it creates the feeling that you're there. It sells the scale pretty well. It does. Like, I, I think it was actually... Um, it was uh, Alex watched this with us, our, uh, our director of photography. Hi, Alex. Um, brought to our attention when we watched this the second time that most of the background extras were actual World War One veterans from uh, America, I assume. And in, in our facts, we read a lot of them were Germans that moved to the U.S. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that even better. There, the filmmakers really wanted to create a feeling of reality because if you don't have that feeling of reality in a movie where you're trying to show the brutality of war, it just doesn't work. And I, I think the uh, the scenes in the trenches are. are it's interesting how they film it. I mean, and we were talking about, you mentioned the conventions of like early filmmaking. Obviously, in a lot of these early film, it was still this very strange, we don't know if we're a stage play and we don't know if we're something else. There's a lot of these just, you know, kind of medium-wide shots of a scene, and they just hold for a long time. Um, and honestly, a lot of the, the scenes in the trenches, they kind of go on for a long time. And at first, I was like, oh, this is so annoying. And I was like, oh, no, it's fatiguing. And that's the point. It's supposed to make you go like, oh, my God, are they going to keep just yeah. these fucking bomb noises? Are we just going to keep the same shot? It, and then it's kind of to immerse you is the point. And I really like that. The the trench warfare for World War One was a, was a, uh, a war of attrition. It, it was waiting and waiting and trying to gain just a you know, a mile of land and then you would lose it maybe the next day. And most of it was just sitting in these horrible conditions because the trenches, as we see in the movie, are pretty freaking nasty. And to make things worse, the German trenches were better than the um, uh, the Allied trenches. They were made much mm. better and they were still pretty horrible. Um, the rats that were crawling to your feet, the wet, the dirt, the mud. A lot of people got trench rot from in their foot which I would have loved to see more of that, but I understand that they might have not been able to do that. I, I think the film definitely gives you the feeling, not like it's 
it's like a good thing, but it's like when they actually do get out of the trenches and they're actually having to fucking shoot people or like they're getting stabbed, it's like, oh, thank God, at least I'm not in the fucking ground anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's just because like that's like almost the worst part for them. Um, and I would like to talk about the, as I mentioned earlier, like how the shots in the, or the moves in the movie feel really purposeful. Um, the shot, uh, the, I don't know, I don't know if it's a doll, it probably is, no, it's kind of a dolly, it's a dolly, but it doesn't really make sense when you think about it because it should be a pan, but the sort of like machine gun when they're shooting and it's just this, that's another very fatiguing shot. It goes on for like 30 seconds and it's just like dead, 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 dead. And you can't see any of their faces other than just like obviously the helmets and the mm -hmm. uniforms. It's, it's very good at uh, dehumanizing and it shows you exactly what they see. It's almost like a, it's like a video game kind of thing where it's like, oh, another one down, another one down. I almost it's, feel like that's, that's not even the point. I think it's more just the scale of the death. Because this Flat was also two. the first war that machine guns were really used on mass. And if you, if, if you think of coming from wars where, you know, in the Napoleonic era, they were still using rifle volleys to attack people. Those were like hundreds of guns. This is one gun with hundreds of bullets able to just decimate a line of people. And that it, the shot really creates it, that feeling of just mowing down a line it, of yeah, men. It's overwhelming the amount of... I, I do want to jump off from that and say that this death is rarely dramatic in this movie. Well, it, right, exactly. The, it, de death just happens, and it's quiet, and it's quick, generally. Even the most dramatic death in the movie, Paul's um, death at the end where he's shot reaching for the mm -hmm. butterfly, we just see his hand. Right. It's not long drawn out, really. It, we just see the, the life slowly leave his hand, and then he's gone. Or un unless it concerns Paul, though, because like yeah. the, the 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 French soldier and then Cap dying, those ones you can tell Paul is like, oh fuck, this sucks. But even even Cap dying, what I like about that is he just gets hit by a bit piece of shrapnel in the back. Yeah, Paul doesn't realize he's dead until he brings him back to camp, and they're just like, oh, do you want his pocketbook? It's like, no, dude, he's dead. Yeah, and, and he he's just, just kind of left with that. Away. Like, no one cares. Without jumping ahead too much, because I really want to say this, I thought it was such a good detail that the same way he found out the French guy was dead by trying to feed him water and he wouldn't take it is the same way he finds out Cap is dead. Because he tries to tries to give him a cup of water and he just doesn't drink it. And it's like, oh, fuck, that's so good. It was such a good detail. And that's that also kind of brings together the idea that and somebody else mentioned, or Cap mentioned this in the film, was like, you can't get over some guy dying, you're in war. Look at this guy, he kills people left and right all day. It's almost like, you know, you 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 can't let things get personal in war, yeah. or the soldiers shouldn't, because then they can't do their job. And it's like, the scene with the French the French guy that dies, that's such a perfect example of that. It's like, he's, tor he's torturing himself by making it personal. But then the way he reacts to him dying is almost the same as Cap, because they're just people. Uh, which really enforces that, reinforces that point. That it's sort of like you you almost get in touch with humanity again once you're like, mm -hmm. oh, dude, you're just you're just wearing a different fucking outfit and a different hat than I am. I like a lot of the contrast between the old soldiers and the young soldiers in this film, mm. because it, it I think it not only works just to show the innocence of youth, but also that these are the older soldiers are men who have been through war. They've been here longer. They know what it's like they're the men who've already been destroyed but they survive they've survived war so far and they've already been destroyed by it they don't care anymore they're just trying to survive and get through it and we slowly see paul and his um his classmates turn into those men or if they don't they die right i, th I think an important i guess yeah a pretty important scene that we should talk about is the uh 
the, the conversation scene that they that the the men kind of have um, when they're eating, because that's probably the probably one of the best at least scenes oh, with of the Kaiser and me in the movie. Yes, um, great scene. Just just as like a, a more grand point, I mean, obviously this film is clearly taking a stand on the issue. Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily say we're an anti-war movie, but it's it's saying we're not aggrandizing the war. This is about the people in the war. Um, it's really interesting that you know in war, like a lot of people don't think about, uh, not that they don't think about it, but people don't concern themselves as much about like national identity and these sort of things until they're put into war because it's like, you're, you want me to defend this, this arbitrary, you know, nationality that I have Mm. with a gun now? Like you want me to kill people because he was born somewhere that I wasn't? And it's, you get the, you get the feeling that they're really becoming more conscious of that. And it's kind of, I feel like that's kind of ballsy for the time too, especially when the one character is like, "Oh, the manufacturers get rich," and stuff like that. Like that is, that was just it's, such a it, great. It's scene. an incredibly political film. Oh yeah. Um, uh, what I like also is when Paul comes back to his hometown and he's in the bar with the like the rich mm, guys yes. looking over the map of the war. They're not even like. It's pretty. The impression I got was that they're not even like they're not generals or anything. These are just fucking old rich guys obsessing about war they've got a map right. they're like this is where the war is won the men on the front that's that's great and all but this is what the, the real war happens right and they they're looking at this arbitrary man-made depiction of politics which is a map with artificial lines drawn between countries and right. thinking that that's what this is about whereas paul is there and he knows that what war really is about is survival yeah. and death. They sort they sort of see it as this very simplistic like game board sort yeah. of. Um, where it's like, oh it's all about strategy and this guy there or the, you know, this this little word right here and but Paul understands that there's consequences to that. Where I think that because they're yeah. so detached from it. And then he, he just watches them and he doesn't say anything. He recognizes that in warfare your enemy is only your enemy when you're trying to kill them, basically. He's not going to try and go out all the time and be like, I've got to go kill the French. He's like, oh, shit, they're coming over the top. i got to shoot them back. Or I got, I'm going to their trench. If I don't shoot them first, they're going to shoot me. Um, like how they just have, you know, this um, this tryst with the um, the French country girls because, you know, it's it sacks. They're fucking bunch of horny guys. They're, they need a break. I kind of want to talk more about the sort of third act or ending of the film. This film kind of, the third act is kind of weird. It kind of drags on a little bit because it's like you think it's going to end at one point and then it doesn't, um, which I guess kind of works because he comes home and it's like, oh, shit, I got to go back. Yeah. And then that's when he dies and that's kind of a bummer and I guess that works. But It's an unusual structure that really fits it the narrative. It's, um, but like I said about that, that classroom scene, another re- really interesting detail is, and I think this was done... And this makes a lot more sense now that I'm, I'm realizing that th- it's supposed to be about the whole span of the war. He comes back, and although Paul, the actor of Paul, hasn't aged more than a year, I think to show how much older he is, all the kids in the classroom scene look way younger than in the beginning of the film. That could, yeah. I'm saying, I know the one kid said I was 16 years, I'm 16 years old. It could be that, but it also could be just over-exaggerating Paul seeing these kids and being like, God, I looked like that once. I that was my impression upon my first watch. On the second watch, I looked more at the background characters there. A lot of them are about the same age that he is, at least the actor, but they do pick one very young-looking kid at the front to emphasize in a cut-in. 
to really show Paul mm. seeing these kids as how he was in that situation as babies. Right. Um, I wouldn't mind talking about a little bit how this movie makes a point about the the like the commanders in war and the politicians. And the point that I think it has to make is that, you know, they don't get it. You have not only um, shots of, like, when the two, I think you notice this, the two generals or wherever they are ride on, in on horseback during boot camp, and we never see their face. Yeah. But also the entire character of Himostash, the, uh, the mailman who joins, who's in the reserves. He is this big bravado guy who is, like, you know— He's clearly in this because he wants, like, control. He wants to feel like this big, important guy in boot camp. And then when he finally gets sent to the front, he's pathetic. And he's trying to, like, take control of them. I'd be like, stand up in the trench. And none of them give a fuck. It's great. And then even Paul, who is taller than him, just basically dominates him and pretty much tells him to fuck off. It's great. Such a good scene. Great character um, for the narrative. Right. I I think... um with the, with the third act, a couple things I'd like to talk about. I think the butterfly thing. This is a good bit of a criticism. It could have been done a lot better because, like, obviously the butterfly is sort of it's a very symbolic thing. I mean, it's like the post one of the posters of this movie is the butterfly. I didn't really like that he came home and we see the butterfly, and then it's at the ending twenty minutes later. It would have been much more interesting if we saw that in the beginning. Like, it would have been a much better callback if yeah. we saw Paul at his home in the beginning with the butterflies, and at the end it's like, oh, I remember that. No, like, I oh. completely forgot about the butterflies. If they'd put it early in the film, I probably wouldn't have. Because, like, oh, I just saw that ten minutes ago. Whoa. But um, I think I think a really uh, – something that I actually really liked uh, in terms of, like, purposeful filmmaking is at the end when um, Cap is out – I think he was, like, getting food or something, and mm. Paul runs out. When Paul is back in the war – this is when Cap dies. It's interesting that through the entire film, we hear all the bombs dropping and we hear, I'm pretty sure we hear planes in, in the movie too, but we hear all these noises. But for the first time in the film, we actually see a shot of a plane. And that's when you know it's significant because the rest of the time in the film, all the bombs are like just background noise. But when you see the plane, you're like, oh, this is going to have some significance. And then obviously that's how Cap dies. The last things I want to talk about in our main section here is um, from a historical perspective, it's very important when you're watching this movie to remember that this is not just about a war. This is about the losing side of the war. Mm. Because as most people, I hope, are aware, Germany lost. The they they Well, I mean, it wasn't exactly a loss. It was an armistice, but Germany is generally considered the losing side of that war. They faced the most um, uh, consequences. After the Treaty of Versailles, they certainly did. And they were not only decimated in the war, they were decimated after the war. Um, And this movie has nothing positive to say about war. And because of that, it was very heavily censored in Germany. Initially, in 1930, when it was released... They, the uh, the like a government board in charge of these things had allowed it to be shown, but then what you had the uh, the Nazi party in Germany who were not fully in control, but they were starting to consolidate a lot of power and they were becoming very prevalent. They literally in the movie theaters brought stink bombs and released mice in the theater and protested it, not only because um, it 
is a movie that is completely against everything that so- national socialism stands for and fascism stands for, um, which basically is, you know, a death cult. But the filmmaker, um, Louis uh, Milestone, uh, was Jewish, too. They would also, they lied, they spread propaganda about trying to say that the author of the book, who was a German war veteran, was a French Jew and had never fought in the war. They were like, he's making this up. That's not what it was like. It was glorious. And eventually they did fully censor the film by the time the Nazi party had consolidated their power. It was completely censored, not allowed to be shown. And interesting um, fact here, depressing fact here, the owner of the theater where the movie was shown first in Germany was eventually killed in a concentration camp because he was Jewish. God. Um, I think it's very important to think about why a government, especially a fascist government, wouldn't want a movie like this to exist. Because this movie is so anti-war... It, it, I mean, let me let me. I'm I'm talking th- in circles here, but war is not to say something is anti-war is not just to say that it's bad. It's to stand against the perspective that I think we tend to get in at least American media nowadays. The default perspective that no war is just a part of life, and I feel like you could almost never you couldn't make a movie like this anymore. Yeah, I mean, I know Oliver Stone did a couple. Actually, technically, three of his films were about Vietnam, and Vietnam kind of definitely changed how he felt about war. But no, you're definitely right about that. I think I think something like censorship, too, and this is kind of what I was saying earlier about how this was, uh, it also just shows the power of media. I mean, this is, I mean, I know it was, uh, I'm pretty sure the book was based off a soldier's experience, if I'm not. Yeah, the, the, so, the author was a veteran. Obviously, it's inspired by something, but, you know, it's a fictional story. It's it's not a documentary. It's not real. It's a, It's fiction. And it's such a powerful uh, message in film that a country felt like they needed to not allow it to be shown to anybody, which kind of just reinforces the power of this film in general. Also, again, with the historical context of this is about the losing side, it, it, it can be very depressing to see a movie almost like rubbing in your face of like, oh, yeah, we lost. This sucked. But the power of that is saying let's never do this again. This was stupid. And it's stupid that we were so eager to go to war because like we see in the beginning of the film, it's like a big old thing where they're like, yeah, we're going to war. It's great. And that was very accurate for what the public um, reception to the war in like 1914 was. Well, since this isn't the silent era anymore, I guess we got to talk about the audio. All right. That's what you get for inventing sound on film. All right, Dan. So this movie was something else, and I'm here to introduce the audio section as normal, but this time around, I thought it would be authentic to go back in time and see what it was truly like in movies back then. I have this time wheel, and I'm going to be altering time. I'm going to move back to the 1930s to truly feel what, uh uh-oh, I went back a year. (laughs) What? No, you asshole. Let's talk about the the very intro of the film with, um, you know, the absolute shitty score. I, okay, I've got opinions on this. What are your opinions? I, I think that the opening score 
is ass because we it, it's this big triumphant piece of music or something and then it's like this movie is not a confession or something about the generation that destroyed a war that destroyed a generation of young men it's like the music is such tonal dissonance and i understand that that's the time and that's just kind of what they thought scores for movies should be but god it just like oh it's, it's a grand picture the the only way i can explain that it works is like it kind of primes the audience to be in that positive mindset of, oh, yay, war is awesome, that then is destroyed over the course of the film. I just, well, I mean, I, I guess don't know. when you I, say it that, pisses me off. the end shot, there's no score at all. There's no True. sound at all. There's no score throughout most of the movie, yeah. actually. But anyway, uh, actually, I have something that's kind of early in the film. This is a little detail. I know you had mentioned at first um, with the classroom scene, because we go from this parade to the classroom. At first, like, you couldn't hear anything the professor was saying because he was being so overpowered. And then, like, almost instantly, the parade sound is just gone. Totally gone. Even though the windows are clearly open and you should hear them. Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting. It's like it's still the backdrop, but you're really focused. Or you're honed in on what the professor is saying at that point. Yeah. Um... I'll admit, I know it's 1930s, but I was not a fan of the mixing of this film. Whether or not you were supposed to hear the professor over the parade or vice versa, the parade over the professor, it just it wasn't mixed well, and I kind of blame. Well, I'm the saying that's that. purposeful. I'm saying the reason the, the parade is, is super overpowering, but as we're transitioning from that to the people in the classroom, then like they totally switch. I'd say you yeah. both have a point here that there is purpose to it. But also, it is a relic of the time. It also does kind of suck a little bit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and if you're trying to replicate a film or an event in a film to the point where, like, yes, this is what it felt like. This is what you should know that it felt like. They did a pretty good job with that, with all the people around singing, especially when they joined the parade, the kids leaving the classroom. And they were like, yeah, let's go. War is the best thing in the world. We're going to sing. We're going to march down the road and let's off camera. Yay! Yeah, and that's something I... I, I <laughs> and historically, that was a big thing, marching songs in the middle. I mean, it still is. Oh, yes, yeah. Especially in that time period. I love that it... I love it as a... It's a storytelling of thinking it's like Himmelstoss is like, it's very important that you're singing. You have to say positive. No one wants to see a sad soldier. And it's like, that doesn't fucking matter. That's bullshit. There is no, there's nothing glorious about war. But uh, we do see them sing like in moments where they're like at the bar yeah. drinking and having a relaxing but, moment. But I think the good meaning behind that is because back then times were different and having the fatherland, because this was Germany, having Ger Germans having pride for their country was probably something that was yeah, pretty that, mandatory. That's what I'm saying. The well, point yeah, is, that's a, the point of the movie. Yeah, and which is why I like the fact that like those kind of acts yeah. accurately represent yeah. what it probably was yeah, I'm like. I agree with you. I don't know if the director was like pre-Michael Bay to Michael Bay's time. <laughs> the explosions were insane. And I actually got kind of like goosebumps on my skin, cringed I, up at I, some I, time, I especially the when they were loud. On the director's behalf that you've compared him to Michael Bay, I am insulted for him. Oh, please, it's explosions. And uh, what, I, what I more or less think, and this is, what, this is what I really find both cool and scary, is, oh, God, and you had pointed out when we watched it, the bomb screech. Yeah. Torpedo sound. How piercing that is. Because that's it's, what they sound like, but how piercing that is in the mix. It's sharp, and it's intense, and I hate it and loved it. Well, you love it because you, you're supposed to hate it. I yeah. know, and... Ugh. 
I, I, I'd say that it's similar to how like the uh, the scenes in the in the trenches or in the bunkers drag on to make you fatigued. It's it's like the same kind of thing because at some point, you know, audibly the the I, I don't have the vocabulary for this, but. It, it's it's in the same sonically. What the fuck word do I need here? I don't know. But it's in the same way that those those are very visually fatiguing. You get the same sensation from the constant noise in the film. Oh yeah, definitely. Blood bubbling screams of like the guys under the trenches. Those had the exact same effect as the bomb screams. Very sharp, very painful, and meant to draw out like a great a great conclusion that war is terrifying. Which brings me to the ending of this film. It cuts to this last scene and he's like, oh, oh, the butterfly, the butterfly from my house. I, I wanna reach to, I, I wanna go back home. And this is, this is what I'm kinda getting into. Do you hear the music that starts playing during that scene? Yes, it was that, uh, I don't know what it was, but you had said it was diegetic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, real, I'm, really, I'm really mad because I could not for the life of me find out the name of that song. But, you know, that's also, it was made in the studio for the soundtrack. And, and what I kind of get from this scene, and this is more of an emotional stance, is like, as he reaches for that butterfly, imagine if this was silent and there was no music, it would have had like less, much less of an right. emotional impact. And I think the inclusion of that, for the 1930s, I think the inclusion of that, start, it was like the start, like a, good, a good starting point of development towards like music and sounds that can be used for emotion and not just like displaying well, actual reality of what things sound like. Silent films have been played with music for, for decades, but I, yes, I meant like in in the case of like combining that with actual audio that yeah. that silent films never had. Because like the rest of this film, you don't really have music mm -hmm. at all in the trench scenes. I think right. you had said that the lack of score was very striking and important because any music would turn it into propaganda. One yeah, which kind of goes along with your point about the yeah. intro as well. Right, because be, I mean cuz the addition of music is trying to it's trying to push you somewhere emotionally. It's imparting an emotion right. on a scene whereas the power of this movie is just showing you this is war. This came at the beginning of the era of sound films and I wonder how much this film pioneered uh sound design cuz obviously you know, talkies, obviously the emphasis was on, oh, we can hear people talk in movies now, but this, the sound design is an entire other layer to it, where, you know, they'd had music before, you know, because someone would be playing while it was on screen. But the music in those were always considered, like, background. Well, that's true, but what I was saying is that, although I think the intent of, like, oh, sound in film, this is great, mm -hmm. it's, it's used for dialogue. In this case, it utilized it mainly for the sound design, because this film would not, because war is a sensory experience, and without the sound design in this movie, it wouldn't work. Compare this to movies of the same era, where a fight scene like The Trenches would have a score over it. Hmm. In this movie, there is no score. The only score is the, it's the sounds of the battlefield. The screeching bombs, the explosions, the screams, the gunfire, the the grenades going off, and I just think that that is very. It probably was very groundbreaking at the time, like you said, and influenced a lot of how people think about action scenes in movies nowadays. All right, guys, this audio film has been fantastic and for the, the movie in its time i was so glad it even had sound i'm going to switch back now to 2020 and the years to come because i will sound so much better when i do so all right finally i can speak normally
If you guys need me, I will be in my apartment with ice cream. And I will see you cool and cool lads next week. Okay, it's lesson time. Because I guess we got to learn things from films. God damn it. What is this, school? I hate homework. <laughs> what did um, you learn? What's my lesson from this movie sort of comes from the fact that I didn't really like this the first time I watched it. Because to me, a lot of old movies come off as too static and too flat in the way they're shot. And we talked about this a little in that the film is shot very objectively with just kind of showing an area. But that's not to say this movie is devoid of close-ups, cut-ins, and cutaways. And where they're used, because they're more sparse than in a modern film, it really shows the power that a close-up can have to emphasize a moment, like the butterfly um, at the end of the movie or when they're panicking the trench, all the close-ups on their faces, um, the little book the French guy has, the the war poster in the bar with the, the woman and the guy. Um, I love that moment. I think it's like right before when Paul goes home where the guy who loses both his legs covers up the photo of him, the other soldier. Yeah. And those, a, a close-up like that, a cut-in, really emphasizes the importance of a moment. It's, I think, the real power of storytelling, of visual film storytelling, um, to, to tell a story with pictures. Right. I think the movie would be stronger if there was less dialogue and more of this. And honestly, I'm really hoping to see that when eventually we do watch, um, maybe just on our own or for the show, the 2022 remake of this film. I'm hoping to right. see more visual storytelling. That That's actually a good point, too. And that's something that I noticed kind of with the camera moves, too, where it's, or I guess less the camera moves, but I'm not sure it works. Um, because we're in the context of the 30s and because of the way they used to shoot things, when they would do close-ups, they're a lot more significant and purposeful because they tend to just shoot everything like 35 millimeter, just like, like it's a stage play. So when they do do that, it's a lot more interesting. Yeah. This was a this was a, a period in uh, film history where we were we as a as a culture were still trying to figure out the cinematic language mm. that would um, be the norm. This is kind of a, a random point, but I just want to say it. Like it, when we watched Metropolis, that's why it was so jarring when there was like one over the shoulder shot. I'm like, oh my god, it's like th this wouldn't be widely used for like decades. What are you doing? But anyway. Um, my lesson for the film is a very, very sort of macro point, I guess, about film and media in general, but specific to this film. This film has a purpose, and this is something that I've liked to do in my own work when I write things specifically is, you know, and again, there's nothing, not that there's anything wrong with escapism at all, that's not what I'm saying, but you get the feeling from films like this, and the reason I like this film is because it feels very much like an Oliver Stone movie, where the film is made with a purpose. And I like how the beginning of the film has just the text opening, and then when it, it ends with a shot of the cemetery, or like all those like lines of graves, this film really feels almost like an essay, because it's stating in the beginning, this is what we're trying to accomplish. The we're thesis, telling, yeah. right, it's a, it's a thesis and a conclusion. We're telling the story of this generation. They do that. And at the end of the movie, you just get all all the dead people. And it's like the point, and I love that ending because it's something that Oliver Stone does in his movies or tries to do where it's like you're able to remove yourself from the theater and think about, oh my God, this is about the real world. Like this has an actual impact on something. Um, 
Because, I mean, the ultimate goal of art is to elicit emotion. And I think especially something like this, when it has such a, a purposeful goal that is applicable to real life, it's that much more powerful. So I really like that about this movie. And yes, I, li- I, I liked that ending shot was just... I can't think of a better way to wrap up to, to wrap up this episode. That's fantastic. It's an important movie, and movies are important. I, I hope that's the attitude that we uh, we create here. Yes. Well, anyway, we're going to be done talking out of our asses. All right, now time for someone else to talk out of their ass. Come on, Joey, get get up here, kick us out of here, lock us lock us out of the room, and do do terrible things to to the camera. He's here. gonna he's gonna shell shock me. He is. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the play All Quiet on the Western Front. The year's 1931, and we're all poor as hell. I can't believe there's just so much willing patriots to join the army. In this movie, they are patriots because that's the home turf. All right, guys, say it with me. Oral fixation. Shut the fuck up. Cut this recording. Oral. Here's a simple rule for anyone in life. If you're a young person, this is something very important. If you act gay around your homies, that means you're not gay. (laughs) It's only when you deny. It's only when you deny yourself of the gay is when you become truly gay. So why do the soldiers sing? Why do they need to sing? That's just going to reveal their location to everyone. That is a dumb thing to do. Like singing... Sing in your damn head. Like, do you want to get shot out there? Do you like die? <laughs> do you love die? If you do, I guess go sing it out. Sing at the top of your lungs. I just... Giant funny wooden hammer. Bunk. Scheming little wussy. What? <laughs> what? That wasn't English. No, it's English. It you're was. just you're just wrong. U.S. retailers versus the Black Friday mob. <laughs> Ryan and Coro in every meal. Yeah. <laughs> Look, man. All I'm saying is, when we get sent to the Western Front, we're gonna we're not gonna. We're Dude, gonna you're gonna be more time shooting than eating. God, you're seriously playing to God right now. God doesn't give a fucking shit about war. He wants it, actually. He endorses war. Maybe it's somewhere in the Bible. I don't know. To whomever whomever tared the poster just for the woman. For keeping that man. First to third semester Ryan when he saw any girl. <laughs> Dude, he'd do anything. He, had, he would have the bread and he'd have the sausage. Why does mom disapprove of my future? What if I just want to do shooty shooty bang bang on all the guys? What if I want to do a shooty shooty bang bang on all the hot studs? (laughs) Oh shit, no, I'm not, no homo, no homo. Stay tuned guys for part two where we got a little smarter and we we took all the people we hate. All right, well that was Joey's section. Indeed. And then, uh, and you know, we, we can't keep talking forever, so. Let's let's bring this episode to a close to a natural denouement. Um, next episode, we um we've got something completely different. <laughs> um, you know we 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 just sort of figured we we were planning out the order we do movies in this season, and we figured we're gonna have a lot of really heavy shit back to back. I think this is kind of the culmination of oh, yeah. dark movies that we're doing. We have something very fun planned for our next episode. Um, for people, for for those of you who did vote in the poll, you probably know what it is. Um, 
I'm very excited to watch it because it's one of my personal favorite films of all time. And I can I cannot wait to see your and also Dan and Joey's reaction to it. So, you know, if you like this episode and this conversation, give us a like, subscribe to the channel, check out new episodes. We uh, we release um, every Saturday around noon. And, uh, you know, in the comments, tell us uh, what you learned from the movie, what you liked, um, anything that really stuck out to you in our conversation, or just yeah. your own thoughts. You know, call us stupid. We don't care. We just need engagement. Don't you think the opening score of this movie sucks? Please tell us. <laughs> it does suck. Tell us that. <laughs> All right. Until next time, see ya. See you later.